the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What's more important, our politics or our virtue? And then, yet another example of hypocrisy. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Monday, friends, and welcome to The Common Good. You're on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us, Aubrey. It's Monday. It's Monday. For some people, it's the fall. For some people, it's summer. We're all in the I middle know, now. We're all over the place, aren't uh, we? A big week in the Fromm house as all three of my kids, including my college daughter, all go to school this week. Wow. Like this is okay. This the is the end up. of summer for you this guys. This is one Very stu- one one child goes back Wednesday. One child goes back Thursday. We take our other daughter to college on Friday. And so kind of a big week, but yeah. uh, I know you're dealing with the juggle of a kid in school and two not. How's the things going in your house right now? Brian, I I think I told you off air, like, it is endless summer. Two of my kids don't start until after Labor Day. Like, that's got to be a construction issue, right? It's a construction issue. It's wonderful. They're putting air conditioning in our kids' school. Like, praise Jesus for that. That's a gift. But Brian, that's two weeks from now. And I'm telling you, this is like I've run out of creative ideas as so a parent. So they're reading books. No. They're they, they're paint they're picking up hobbies right now. They're literally playing video games nonstop <laughs> and I've lost the will to care. I'm like, fine, for two weeks you guys want to play video games. I don't care. Just maybe shower once in the next two weeks. Like I'll throw some chicken nuggets down the stairs. I'm done. I'm over it. I'm over it. They need to go to school, Brian. Yep, that, that you have reached that spot, yeah, and so uh, there it is. What it is, but Aubrey, it is. Uh, I, I was also telling you that this is. We've been talking a lot about. I'm taking my first daughter. We are taking our first daughter to college. Carrie and I uh, up on Friday through Sunday, coming up here. And on one hand, I just don't want my daughter to leave. Like yeah. we're doing, we're doing all of that. We went out to dinner as a family last night. We're doing. The, her and I went out to dinner on Friday night. Her and her mom are going out. Her and Carrie are going out to dinner tonight. Like these kinds of things. On the other hand, tell me if you know how how this feels. Like sometimes you're just building up to something for so long that you're like, <laughs> we just got to do yeah, it. Yeah, it's like the anticipation almost has a deadline. Like, all right, we've anticipated this enough, enough, yes. enough. Let's go, let's go. I get that. Like I don't yep. want her to go. But I don't want to live in this limbo yeah. either where all of her friends are gone. And so she, I, you think that I'm feeling that way. How do you think she's oh, feeling? Oh, seriously. She's, she's like, so Please ready. take me. I'm like, I'm ready uh, to go to college. I literally asked her at lunch the other day, at dinner the other day, you're going to cry when you say bye to me, right? <laughs> What'd she say? <laughs> yes, Dad. Because she was telling me how excited she'll be. be. Like, you and, better and true, cry. I want her to be excited. But I go, you are going to cry, right? She yes, I will cry when I say bye to you and Mom. Yes, uh, of course. And I said, okay. Because, you know, if not, you're getting back in that car right, and we're going right. home. I'm going to cry one way or the other. So big weeks in our house. The uh, the younger two Samson boys are just getting thrown chicken nuggets while yeah. the other's in school. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, we are at a, this is the beautiful time of year. We were also having this discussion the other day. What weather in the Chicagoland would you choose? Ooh. And I, I actually think I would choose 
very early fall. Okay. Uh-huh. If it didn't mean that winter was coming. Yes, like I hear you. Like if it yeah. was just that, like it right. didn't matter what we like were leaving and what was coming, I think I would choose late August yeah. to like the first week in October. There is a nice time. I feel like today is actually a good example where like it's sunny. The temperature has dropped a little bit, so you almost need a sweater if you're not yep. right in the sun. But it's not going to be dark at like 4 p.m. You know what I mean? Like there's the sun is still out right now. And this is a beautiful. You're right. The next the next couple months are a beautiful time to be in Chicago. The leaves change. It starts to be very beautiful. But then, yeah, death is knocking. (laughs) The death of winter is approaching. (laughs) That was was dark dark right there. So we're glad that you're with us. Aubrey, I was reading, as we often do, David French talking about politics in the church, talking about politics and Christianity. And this is something you and I want to wrestle with often. But the thing he brought up that I read over the weekend made me really kind of, you know, when you read really good stuff, it causes you to just kind of pause and go, man, I I need to chew on that. Mm. I need to think about that because that feels important. That feels important. Let me just read to you a paragraph. Obviously, the way David writes over at the French press, there's a lot to this. But let me just read you one paragraph. David French writes, the longer I live the more convinced I am that our Christian political ethic is upside down. Hmm. On a bipartisan basis, the church has formed its members to be adamant about policies that are difficult and contingent and flexible about virtues that are clear and mandatory. Hmm. So if you didn't pick up what he said here, let me just summarize it this way. He says we've got it backwards. That people in our churches, Christians as a whole in our culture, are like rock solid adamant about their policies that can be debatable. Yeah. Their politics that can be debatable. Mm. But that people are, are are like locked in while at the same time being more flexible and fungible about virtues mm. that have always been through the history of the church mm. back to the time of Jesus and before clear and mandatory. Yeah, Love that, your neighbor, whatever else yeah, it might be. And yeah. David's point is, David French's point is, we've got this backwards. Interesting. How did this happen? But more so, yeah. how does this ever change? Yeah, it, it's interesting. He does talk about something that you and I have talked about on The Common Good, which is you and I keep saying, like, we need civility. We need distancy. Mm-hmm. We need to care about the common and good we need nuance and he's saying right now that there's an argument a lot of people are saying no that is civility and decency are no longer adequate for this day and age we tried decency it didn't work now is the time to punch back that's a quote mm. from uh, david french and what he goes on to say is that mindset is utterly antithetical to christian moral mm-hmm. ethic i i we're gonna talk about something later on in the show where we see this play out in the church as well not just politically, but the way we engage with one another. And I do feel like at some point we're choosing law, Mm -hmm. literally law policies instead of love God, love neighbor. And I, uh, it's worth looking at our own hearts and seeing where we're guilty of this. But I do think that's a right judgment of sort of the Christian political um, landscape right now. And Brian, as part of what I have told you on the show before, I feel like a political orphan Mm -hmm. because I am longing for someone to care about integrity and ethics and righteousness and also be in politics. And I just don't know if that exists. Yeah. French goes on to say. In the face of the moral complexity and difficulty of the true Christian moral call, we've created a hierarchy of values. Mm. It's not that we absolutely reject kindness or humility or decency. 
It's not that we're going to condemn the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's just that they're, quote, secondary values. Mm. When push comes to shove, it's our vision of justice, he says, that matters. And then he goes and gives some examples of some people who might be getting pushed into office right now or riding a wave into office through right-wing evangelical voters. Yeah. Uh, think about the uh, governor race out in Arizona would be an example, or uh, even what happened with Liz Cheney last week in Wyoming. Yes. And and French wants to ask, and he gets roasted for this all the time. Yeah. But he wants to ask, shouldn't we be prioritizing, you know, uh, civility, mm. Jim Dennison back in the day, right? Civility, mm-hmm. uh, kindness. Yeah. And so how do, this is the $64,000 question. How do we walk that line? Like, I want to vote for people who are going to um, stand up for the unborn. Yeah. I want to vote for people who might have a specific kind of view of the country. Absolutely. Or whatever else it might be. Right. While at the same time, I want to vote for people. So you don't want to just vote for who's the nicest. Yeah. But that does have to matter on some level, doesn't it? Well, it's like the fruits of the spirit matter, right? Mm-hmm. And so the fruits and I and I understand this is where people disagree about this because they're like, we're not voting for a pastor. We're voting for a political leader. And I, I can to some degree understand that. And yet if the leaders of our nation are unwilling to set an example of um, civility, of virtue, of dignity mm-hmm. and integrity, let's be honest, then the trickle-down effect of that, I think that's what bothers me, like the trickle-down effect. And we're seeing this, you know, in how polarizing our conversations are politically, how people just like get immature and insult one another and just like look bad and come across as immature and gross, to be frank. Um, The example that's being set for the next generation is just poor. Yes, And so if nothing else, if you're not willing to be, if you're not willing to say, I want someone to have the fruits of the spirit, at least think about the example that our nation's leaders are setting. Yeah, he ends this way. Uh, The call to counterculture is much more comprehensive. When the world is greedy, you are generous. When the world is cruel, you are kind. When the world is fearful, you are faithful. When the world is proud, you are humble. How do you know we're Christians but by our love? Mm. Yes, we say yes to all of this right until the moment when we think that our kindness, our faithfulness, or our humility carries with it a concrete political cost. We think we know what's just, and we can't do justice without power. And so, he finishes, in our arrogance, we think we know better than God. We can't let kindness or humility stand in the way of justice, yet we're sowing the wind, and now we reap the whirlwind. Mm. The world's most Christian advanced nation is tearing itself apart and it's millions of believers bear much of the blame. That rocked me when I read that. Wow. Like you and I talk about this all the time. The wow. need for civility, the need for uh, for kindness, mm-hmm. for just trusting that God has a plan. I think that's part of it, right? Is trusting that God is in charge, trusting that God is sovereign, certainly praying for the things that you care about, certainly advocating for those. But at the end of the day, if you're willing to compromise on integrity and faithfulness because you want power for your political party, something is twisted in your thinking. The kingdom of God is no longer the most important priority to you. That's right. And so I wanted to start there today because politics are coming, right? They're they're constantly in front of us. We've got 
uh, elections coming up. What do, what are the standards? What are we holding our, our political leaders to? Who are we voting for? What are we as Christians going to value in those people that we vote for? And where does our trust in God kind of land there? So challenging way to start off the day. Uh, Rick Warren kind of... We, you and I still need to do this. We said we were going to do oh, a yeah. Mount Rushmore. Let's let's figure this out for Mount next week. Mount Rushmore maybe, maybe of America's this week. pastors. Like who is the nation's pa- who are America's, America's evangelical pastors. pastor? The right? Mount Rushmore of America's pastors. Remember we discussed this when I was yes. going to South Dakota. So Mount Rushmore has four. Right. But I think Rick Warren's on that list. Or on the, his face. If his face oh, is on that mountain, his face is on that mountain for sure. So Rick Warren, who also has a show here on AM eleven sixty, uh, Rick Warren. Just stepped down at Saddleback. I believe yesterday might have been his last, like, oh, I didn't know that. Talking to the church okay. type of deal. He was replaced after a long search uh, by a man by the name of Andy Wood. Okay. Uh, he was named as Rick Warren's uh, successor at Saddleback. Uh, so, not to be, not surprisingly, uh, and maybe not inappropriately, Andy Wood comes on and his background is kind of being churned over. Yeah. And yeah. being looked at. People are scrutinizing him. And so some people came out from his old church called Echo Church, I believe, uh, and in San Jose and yeah. said, you know, there was some domineering. There was some, yeah. you know, I'm not sure they went as far as the word abuse, but there was this. Well, yeah. what blew up on Twitter was that at the 2021 Echo Leadership Conference, he had on stage and interviewed Mark Driscoll. Yeah. So if you're newer to the show here, you know, Mark Driscoll was at uh, Mars Hill in Seattle. He is, uh, that church just blew up uh, in a good way and then blew up in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he started another church in Arizona, but he was the subject of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. Right, right. A lot of, uh, you know, anger issues, abuse, emotional abuse, all that kind of stuff yep. kind of came out. So. Andy Wood at the 2021 Echo Leadership Conference at his church had Mark Triscoll there. Yeah. And he has since apologized for it because a lot of people on Twitter were going, what's the character defect that he would have had right. Mark Driscoll right. there? And, and in 2021, like recently, let's be honest. Right. So mm-hmm. he said this. He tweeted this on August the 12th. In the past, I interviewed Mark Driscoll to help pastors learn from his mistakes. Since then, additional controversy and pain has come out. My choice hurt and confused many people. I regret the pain, confusion, and distraction this caused. I humbly apologize for my mistake and error. I think he thought that that would then go away. But in fact, it kind of lit a fire for some people going, whoa, how did you not know? How did you not this? So a couple different things come out of this for me. Um, One, so he was cleared by Vanderblumen. He was cleared by another group. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, Saddleback did their their, um, stuff. Right. So at what point do you just kind of go, hey, we're going to give this guy a chance or we're going to trust the people who did the work versus we've got bloggers and tweeters and all of this stuff, investigative reporters who are going, we're going to uncover and make sure there's no abuse and make sure this. At what point do you go, you know what? They use this group. They use this group. Mm -hmm. Or is or at what point do you still just continue to be cynical about it and go, well, they just rubber stamp this for Rick Warren's sake or whatever? Yeah, I mean, this is so complicated because I do think it's actually quite unfair that the guy and his wife are coming into this role under so much scrutiny and negative public energy. Like, again, I feel like this is where I'm just getting very, very tired of this industry of just tearing down church after church, after church, after leader, after leader, after leader, 
for making mistakes. Mm. Like he comes on, he admits his mistake and he apologizes. And it, it, again, it doesn't appear that Andy would, and I don't know the guy from Adam, but it doesn't appear that he has a track record of abuse. These two firms have cleared him. And so I do think at some point, like, let it go let the guy lead and let the kingdom of God move and like develop fruit. And I'm not sure what this thing is where we're just bent on tearing people down all the time. Do I like that he associated with Driscoll? No, especially in 2021. I do think it's worth noting that it was before the rise and fall of Mars Hill came out. Had it been after that, that might even be more problematic because all of that information came out exposing Driscoll. But I, I just have, I don't know, I'm starting to feel frustrated, especially if Saddleback has agreed with it, the people of Saddleback are excited, then just let the guy lead, right? If you're outside of Saddleback, I'm not sure what your business is in doing mm, this. Yeah. Now, it, now, that said, if somebody comes forward and says they were abused by Andy Wood at this Echo Church, that's a different conversation, you know? And, yeah, and maybe, as opposed to the guilt by association. Yeah, yes. Maybe that's a good way to put it, as opposed as opposed to the guilt by association. Because let's be honest, at the end of the day, and I think there's a lot of pastors listening who would say this, a lot of church uh, people who would say this, many of us were influenced by Mark Driscoll mm-hmm. before we understood what an abuser he was. So at what point... Let's take the Driscoll part of this. Yeah. Because I think this is telling in the world that we live in right now. He's kind of persona non grata, right? He's kind of toxic right now. And I think for good reason, probably more so than anyone has been in a long time because of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Yep. You make the point that a lot of us were Driscoll. It was a lot of guys. So I'll use fanboys, right? I listened to Driscoll all the time back in the day. Andy Wood clearly was a big fan of Driscoll, called him a mentor. Yeah. So. Yeah, what am I asking here? Is there guilt by association? And going forward, is there any place for Mark Driscoll to still have a place at these things? Or should he be avoided at all costs? Yeah, I think Mark Driscoll should be avoided at all costs. Like, that's not a question in my mind. I don't think the guy ever needs to be platformed at a church again. I do think he's leading a church in Scottsdale, Arizona now. There's allegations that there he still has continued in a pattern of sin and abuse. The dude can can be restored to some other job. He does not need to have a church, a pulpit, etc. I have no problem saying that. People can agree or disagree with me. I don't know that that has anything to do with Andy Wood. Now, again, mm. I don't know their relationship. Were they best friends? Is Andy similar to Mark Driscoll in scope and character? I guess time will tell that. But I think like you could you could almost name any pastor out there who you think has great integrity and like do seven degrees of separation from a pastor who doesn't. And then does that disqualify that one pastor? I don't I don't know. I think it gets very slippery, Brian. Yeah. And that's where this I think you and I fully believe that people who do create abuse or do blow up church or whatever, mm-hmm. they can be restored, but they don't need to be restored to the pulpit. Yeah, totally. They don't need to. And we do that way too often. Way too often. Way too quickly. Yes. Um But also, I think what you and I are trying to get at is I'm growing increasingly uncomfortable with the social media Christian world that looks very much like TMZ. A hundred percent. It is like I want to figure out every – and maybe there's a place for it, but but it feels like it's grown to the spot now of like we're going to – we're going to comb through somebody's background so precisely that – 
that almost nobody could stand up to it. Like, mm-hmm. again, I want to walk this fine line because, like you said, if there's abuse in the background, if there's things that need to come to light, by all means. Those but, do need to come to light, yes. But at what point do you go, okay, we're going to tr- – he said he's sorry. They vetted him. They this, Let's right. give him a chance. Right. And see where it goes. I and don't that's know. like, I mean, this is where I've, I feel frustrated too. Like, at what point can we like cheer the church on and pray for the church while holding her accountable? It feels like this holding accountable has taken the taken the space of anything else. And yeah. I wonder if there is a better way to do both. I think that's well put, and I, I just am interested to see where this goes going forward. Yeah. The the Christian evangelical landscape right now of gotcha yeah. like we're going we're coming for you right and and i think we're always going to take kind of a like a a sideways look at everyone like you got to prove that you're not mm-hmm. who you're you're innocent until proven guilty type but, of, yeah. or you're, you're guilty, you're guilty until, pro, until proven, pro, proven innocent. innocent i don't know yeah. i don't like the tmz nature of the yeah, church I right now and i fear that's where we're heading even more all right did you preach yesterday Nope, my husband, my hubs, my yeah. hubs, my husband, my the hubby. The word is husband. Yep, my husband he slash preached. pastor preached. So I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to tell nice. you a little bit about what I preached yesterday because I think uh, it's something a lot of people struggle with. Oh, maybe okay. maybe this is one of those. I struggle with it, so I just assume everybody yep, else does. Right. Uh, at, we were at the part in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about worry, mm. and he says, do not worry, right? And then yep. he goes, you know, God takes care of you, all this kind of stuff. Yep. And then, you know, you, other places in the Bible, including Paul in Philippians 4, uh, do not be anxious about anything. Mm. And so I, I tried to talk yesterday about the fact of, like, I don't always find those helpful. They make <laughs> right. me more anxious. It's not always helpful when someone's like, don't be don't anxious. Be Thanks this. a lot, Paul. And before we get into why Jesus said that we could not be anxious and what Paul said, mm. do you consider yourself a worrier? An anxious person. Yeah, I I tell this story actually quite a bit when I speak places. I am not a anxious, worried person during the day, but I am one of the most anxious sleepers at night, which sounds weird. So I'm not up at night going over all the things I'm worried about. It's not that. It's that I sleep anxiously. Mm. So my husband, we've been married for 21 years. If I go to bed before him, he still has to walk into our bedroom going, it's Kevin. It's Kevin. It's Kevin. What will or you else do? I literally start screaming because I think someone has broken into our home. Our kids, again, what? I mean, my oldest is 16. They know don't wake mom up in the middle of the night because she'll start screaming and she'll grab you. They go around the bed and they wake Kevin up because I and am such an anxious. For? I mean, until I sort of wake up, it's not like forever, but I, my instinct is like total panic. And so it is so funny. Like, Kevin literally is like, it's Kevin, it's That's Kevin, really funny. it's Kevin when That's he walks funny. in. Yeah. So I feel like as I get older, I struggle with worry and anxiety more. Interesting. And I think it's because you lose control, yeah. right? When your kids are little, your kids, you control everything about your kids. That's true. Their environment, their decisions. What they their, eat, yeah. what they wear. Yeah. Now I'm about to take a daughter to college. Like your our kids, yours too, are old enough mm-hmm. where they're starting to spread their wings. Yep. They're starting to... Uh, leave the nest a little bit. Yep. And and that's worrisome, right? Like, are they going to be okay? Are they going to make the right decisions? Who are they out with right now? What's What are they doing? And yep. all of these things. I think there's a lot to be worried about in this world. Inflation and, you know, guns and there's wars. There's a lot. Whatever, that's right. Whatever else it might be. So the question becomes, what do you do? Let's assume everybody out there to some level worries. Okay. Yeah. That 
Some people, it's debilitating. You need medication. You need a counselor. Yeah, and you should. Go for that. Yes. We're for that. Yes. But others, it's just, you know, there's just a lot out there right yeah. now. There's a yeah. lot of worry. So let me throw some things I okay. threw out there. And I want to know if you think any of these are helpful. Okay. In the passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, don't look to the future. Focus on the present. Mm. The, this has enough problems in the present. Mm-hmm. I talked about how the Israelites... They had all these festivals and celebrations to remember the past, Mm. remember God's faithfulness, right? So I talked yesterday about we need to do the same thing. So we remember the past. Yes. We live in the future. So good. uh, We live in the present, but we also hold on to the future, Revelation 21. Mm. Even if it's overwhelming what you're going through, this is not always what you're going to go through. That's so good. And then we went to Paul in Philippians 4. Paul says, when you worry, don't do it, but pray. But pray. And here's the promise. Yep. And so I talked about how the fact is we can literally at the times where we worry, we can go, nope, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray right now. Yeah. And the last thing I talked about is Jesus said kind of our perspective in that passage. He says, seek first the kingdom. Mm. Like maybe our priorities are off and that's what's causing mm. worry. So it's a great sermon, it Brian. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad yesterday. So, so all of those together or just what would you counsel to somebody Who's really struggling? Either jump off one of that I said, or maybe something I missed. When someone's really struggling with anxiety and worry, mm-hmm. they go, "Are we? What would you do? What should I do? Yeah. Like, what's really practical? Would you say?" So to them? this one isn't for me, and I'm jumping off of something you said about worrying about the future, which is what Jesus talks about. Jeannie Stevens, in her new book, "What's Here Now," talks about don't worry about what if, focus on what is. And mm. so, literally, like, look around you and. And be thankful for the things that are in the present moment because you can end up living an entire life in the future and trying to worry and control and fix it. And literally, like, it's not, it doesn't even exist. And so our worries can fuel this sort of, like, fantasy world, even though it's not fun fantasy. It's, like, scary, agonizing fantasy. But we're trying to predict and control something that just can't be. And so... Her call is like, come back to the present moment. What's here now? Not what if, but what is. And I think going back to what you talk about, remembering God's faithfulness. Mm. I love, um, I think it's Psalm 42, where uh, it's, not a, it's not a Psalm of David. It's a um, Psalm from the sons of Korah. But it's like coupled with like, I, um, I have pain and regret. Life is really hard. And also, I remember that I have worshiped God in the past. Uh, this is a really difficult thing that I'm going through right now, but I remember, God, you have carried me through before. And it's like the entire psalm is them acknowledging the pain and the frustration, the worry, the anxiety, the grief. But then they very intentionally couple it with remembering God's faithfulness throughout their lifetime. Mm. And so I think if we can get in the habit of remembering, I I do think it matters that we trust God's character, right? And trust that God is trustworthy. But if we can also look back on the way God has shown himself faithful and carried us in our lives. Mm -hmm. It's almost like that track record. You can go, oh, okay. God has always carried me. He's not going to stop now. He's going to keep doing it. And it just, I think it strengthens your resolve not to worry. Yeah. And then I I, I hadn't thought much about the future one too. Like, cause you always like, Jesus says, don't think about the future because the the present has enough worry. But I don't think what he means is don't think about your ultimate future. Mm. That the things that are causing you the greatest worry right now might not be part of our reality mm. in the future. And then wow. really practically, Paul, in, in Philippians 4. Like, maybe out there, if you're a worrier like me, yeah. when you worry this week, make it, try praying. That's good. And just see what happens. That's good. All right, Brian, in other news, we've been talking a lot about integrity today and integrity within the church 
I saw the story of a Missouri pastor who I would venture to say did not act with integrity. <laughs> he uh, basically called his congregation broke, busted, and disgusted for one reason. And I want you to hear it from his mouth. Let's go ahead and take a listen. That's how I know you're still poor, broke, busted, and disgusted because of how you've been honoring me. I'm not worth your McDonald's money. Come on. Come on. I'm not worth your Red Lobster money. I ain't worth your St. John knit. Y'all can't afford it no how. I ain't worth y'all Louis Vuitton. I ain't worth your Prada. I'm not worth your Gucci. Mother, ooh, I'm saying this, and I promise you, Deacon it's not with respect and won't. I'm saying it because I want you to understand just what God is saying. And found out that Movado, you can buy a Movado watch in Sam's. And y'all know I asked for one last year. Here it is the whole way in August. I still ain't got it. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Let me kick down the door and talk to my cheap sons and daughters. I don't want to hear no more excuses about what y'all can't afford. You can't afford it because you don't see the value here. Y'all hear from y'all pastor and father. I'm over y'all. I'm over your cheap expressions. Okay, so that is not the same sermon that you preached. But basically, this pastor, Pastor uh, Funderburk in Missouri, was very mad at his church for not getting him the watch that he wanted. He wanted a Movado watch, which apparently is worth, Movado watch is apparently worth anywhere from $300 to $3,000. He's been asking for one since last Christmas. Church has still not gotten him one. And he was expressing some bitter frustration. Yes, he now, was. Now, as of course you That's can imagine. So strange. Okay, it's strange, right? Now you can imagine that that uh, that video of his sermon was shared all over the place, and of course, people got very upset by it, especially as so many Americans are facing so much financial stress due to the inflation. He did end up sharing a. Um, apology video where he explained that he privately apologized to his congregation. They've extended their love and support to him. But at the end of the day, it's a weird move, right? For a pastor to yell at his congregation for not getting him the watch he wanted. So it's weird because I've I've never been in a scenario where that happened. Yeah. But not only is it weird, I also feel like it is... um, how to put this? It's a window into the guy's soul. So you can apologize. Mm-hmm. If I were a part of that church, I'd be going, no, 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 no. You actually told us how you think about us. Right. I, I don't know how some pastors see money the way they do, too. Like, yeah. I don't understand this idea of you owe me. Yeah. You owe me. Like, that is, regardless of the denomination mm-hmm. or the background of the yeah. church or whatever, there's just nowhere in the Bible where you could look at it and go, yeah, I, I as a pastor should get paid. They mm-hmm. should take care of me. I'm using air quotes, all yeah. this kind of stuff. But not like this. Right. And not like you owe me. And the fact that you haven't gotten me the watch I asked for yeah. or haven't gotten this is a sign of your cheapness and yeah. your money and all of this stuff. This just seems like a grifter, like kind of like, mm-hmm. hey, I want you to get me stuff and you're not doing it. And I'm your pastor, so you need to listen. Like, there's an authoritarianism here. Yeah, at, at some there's point he said, this, this, is is what God, this is what God says. Yeah, at some yeah. point he said that. I'm your pastor and your father, and I'm over y'all. I'm over your cheap expressions. I, I'm guessing here is a pastor who is not feeling honored or respected in the way that he thinks he ought to, and perhaps in whatever 
denomination this is or church affiliation this is, he sees other pastors being honored with uh, financial gifts or with material items. And so he's comparing himself to them. But at the end of the day, I just don't think there is any place for a pastor to verbally attack his community for not providing financially for him with like this material item that he wants. And then for yelling at them, like I'm not worth your whatever your McDonald's money, your red lobster money. I, I mean, especially right now, Brian, when so many of us, so many Americans are barely living paycheck to paycheck. So many Americans are being forced to use credit cards and they don't want to like, it's a wild world out there when it comes to finances. And so I feel like, Never in any in any season is it okay for a pastor no. to do this. But there's something about the timing of it right now that feels like deeply problematic to me. And I I think like something is right that you said about biblically who pastors are supposed to be. Servants, yes, sacrificial, pastors meaning like shepherds, but not kind of this authoritarian demanding Mm. and and there's there's some real red flags here like you said into this pastor's soul don't you think a hundred percent and again as you and i often say we want to say hey let's look at the at the spec not in the other guy's eye but let's look at the right you know so how often do i look at my own congregation and say what are you going to do for me? Right. And it's not always money. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, you need to pay me more. You need to give me more gifts. Hey, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, and I don't feel appreciated. Like, whatever. Yeah. But also, like, how much do do I ever give the impression to my congregation that says, you're here to serve my purposes? Mm. I think we need to go here, and mm. you're just the means to get there. Yeah. Or am I the shepherd behind you going, hey, I want to yeah. lift you yeah. up. I want to str- – yeah, it's just – Pat, we've gotten this wrong. You said recently that you're reading what Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. Oh, I love that. Book. And that's kind of where we're at with this, right? Like, when are we going to get back to pastor as shepherd? When are yeah. we going to get back to pastor not as CEO, right? Not pastor as making tons of money, mm-hmm. like using. Like, I don't know where that all came from. And and again, your church can pay you whatever they want to pay you. Like, I'm not going to say you shouldn't make yeah. more than this, yeah. but. And your church can get you a watch if they want to. But I guess I would ask pastors in general, what are you in it for? Yeah, that's What good. are you in it for? Mm. And to just look inward at that. Mm. And whose glory is it about? And I think let's take it just for a minute, too, like outside of church leaders. For any of us, like mm-hmm. our spouses, are we expecting them to treat us in a certain way with, with some very selfish ends in yeah. mind? For our children, for the people that we work with, like let's be very mindful of how— what we assume people owe us. And instead, especially for those of us who call Jesus our Lord and Savior, let's be servants rather than people who demand. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, really, really interesting. All right, Brian, uh, I was, you know, messing around on Twitter as I want to do you every do. once in a while. And uh, my girl, uh, Beth Moore, was in a little bit of a controversial conversation. I would call it a conflict. With another pastor online. Now, I don't like when people go after Beth Moore, but they often do. This is a guy named Josh Buse. And let, let me give you a little um, background. So basically, Beth Moore said something, and I, I couldn't find the original tweet, but she said something about, quote unquote, crushing on the Son of God. Okay. She was saying something about, I remember seeing it, it had something to do with like, it was it was a very tongue in cheek off. It really, if you read the tweet, you'd be like, oh, she's just yeah. being Beth Moore. And this yeah. person got all 
but it was like seeing the beauty of this makes me crush, crush on, on God's surgery, or something, something like, like that. that. So this pastor, Josh Buse, who's a husband, dad, pastor, blogger, founder, and president of G3 Ministries, according to his Twitter profile, apparently pointed out that Beth Moore should not be crushing on the Son of God. I would say a lot of people pointed that okay, out. Okay, so it wasn't just Generally him. of the much more conservative bit. Yeah, there's this group on Twitter <laughs> yes. that some people know is like the Theo Bros, and basically they go after women especially and just like like to point out where they think they've gone, said bad things theologically. It's a really neat group of people. <laughs> um, so he says on Twitter, when I pointed out that at, at Beth Moore LPM shouldn't be crushing on the son of God, rather than clarifying, she tweeted out that some of us wouldn't be receiving any of her grape jelly because she's in the middle of this whole grape jelly thing where she's making it. And he says that someone at his church gifted him with an early Christmas gift. It was uh, grape jelly. Mm. So Beth Moore responds to that because she ta- he tagged her in it. She responds to it saying, okay, Josh, but it won't be nearly as good as mine. P.S. You're going to have to learn to lighten up a little bit. I was being silly, and I think you even knew that. You may as well get used to me. We'll have to, we will have eternity together. <laughs> then he says, I'm rather lighthearted. Just ask my staff. But when it comes to theology, there's no room for ambiguity that appears to be blasphemy. You could have been clear, but you chose a different route. Root, she says, I'm sad you can't show me any goodwill. And the whole conversation kind of unrolls like that. It got very twittery. Lots of people responding. Lots of people jumping in to defend Josh or Beth. The whole thing was a little bit disturbing for me, Brian. And I actually had another friend who shared it. And with sharing that conversation, he tweeted this. He said, guys, I'm flummoxed at the number of pastors who treat love as subservient to doctrine. Love is the entire point of doctrine. It's the goal of our instruction. It's Jesus's number one command. Love is greater than faith, hope, knowledge, wisdom, and miracles. If you dismiss love, you're a false teacher. And then, of course, he pointed to that thread. His point was that he felt like Josh Buse was being unloving to Beth Moore. What do you think about this whole thing happening publicly, Brian? It's dumb. I think it is. Beth Moore... Here, uh, as one who has watched all of these things on Twitter, yeah, uh, these kind of more conservative guys love to go after Beth Moore mm-hmm. because let's be honest, she's an outspoken woman. Yeah. She is, uh, she's opinionated, also teaching in ways that many of them don't think she should. All yeah. of this, yeah, she's left the Southern Baptist Church. All right. of those things. Beth Moore likes to pour gasoline on the fire as yeah. it goes, yeah. right? Like uh, a little bit, but also say I don't think. Uh, a, a, it's funny that he went, you would think I'm lighthearted. You want to just ask my staff. Right. <laughs> maybe kids, maybe wife, but hey, right, maybe whatever. family. Yeah. Uh, this gets back to the bad use of Twitter for theology debates. Mm. Like anybody who read mm. Beth Moore's original one can see the, the, the nature it was written in. But maybe they also have a point. You and I did an entire segment last week. About the romanticizing of God in our in our song, in our lyrics. worship song. So I want to be true. consistent. That's true. That maybe he has a point about the words of God, but but at some point it felt like they could have gone offline and just said, "But let's be honest, they were both just trying to score points." Yeah, yeah. Beth Moore with her followers, this yeah. guy with the people who don't like Beth Moore, and that's everything that's wrong right now mm. with Christian Twitter, Christian blogosphere. Yeah. Christian, it's trying to score points. It's, you and I talk about it. It's the TMZ. It's the yeah. Twitter. It's the we want to rip one another. Like, just 
hey, let by God's, hey, we agree to disagree on this. Or, right, hey, right. let's just not, we don't actually know each other. Right. That's the weird thing about these. These people don't actually, they don't know, actually each other. know each other. They could be standing in an elevator yeah. together yeah. and wouldn't know it. That's why this is just weird. I, I don't like evangelicalism sometimes right now. Yeah. You know what? I, I don't like, I'll be honest with you, I don't like the Josh Buses of the world, and I don't know him, but who feel like it's necessary for them to call out what women are tweeting about and tear them down. Because he doesn't, like you said, they don't know each other. He's not part of our church, not part of a Christian community, not part, I mean, there's just absolutely no reason. Like, mm-hmm. like he... he just like lead your church and mind your business and point people to Jesus. And I, I think that's what bothers me. And I actually understand Beth Moore's impetus, especially for years and years and years of probably being treated like this, but being quiet about it to be like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm 70 years old or late 60s. I'm not sure how old she is. I think she's in her 60s. Uh, I'm going to speak my mind and say what I think now. I actually kind of appreciate her snarkiness. I'm not going to lie. And yet... As I appreciate it, I still think, oh, I wish these two would just take this offline. Like, I, and all do I it s- privately. Don't do it publicly. I, I yep. don't know. And There's- all I would say is that then I don't want the inevitable Beth Moore tweet, tweet coming down the road about the snarkiness of other people. Yeah. And her needing a break because people are going at her. Yeah. Like, I, I just want to be like, don't don't try to have it both ways. Like, I don't get it. it, it, it I just don't understand it. And like you said... They tend to go after women. They also go after a lot of men who they don't agree with. I don't understand the people who think they can go after everybody. Like like you said, pastor your church. Just pastor your church, dude. Raise your family. Yeah. Lead your ministries. Yeah. Uh, and, and be okay with that. I, I don't understand the evangelical I, world right now. The evangelical yeah, world I know. online feels a lot like the world online, mm. quite frankly. It feels the same. Yeah, it these feels could like be the two, political discourse well, that we were used to. Or these could be two sort of like celebrities like having a, like it feels insulting more like each other. Right? It feels more like politicians. Like, this is why you're wrong. This is mm. why you're wrong. Knowing that Twitter is never going to be the place to... Uh, help to, to change anybody's mind. You're just trying to score points with your yeah, people. Yeah. We see that in politics all the time. The Republicans yeah. going after that, you know, going after that one Democrat or vice versa, not because they know they're going to change anyone's mind because it gets everybody gets their name mm. in it. It's just, I just want to be like, Hey, about everybody. Remember in the old Testament, there was the year of Jubilee. Yeah. How about the year of Jubilee Forgive when it comes to Twitter? Debts, no, when it start, comes to Twitter, we just fresh everyone's going to take a, t- a year from twitter it's not a bad idea brian go away. it's not a bad idea and then at we'll all slowly walk yeah. back into yeah. it and maybe we'll do it as as better people okay, i kind of like that idea like a fresh start on twitter all right so you know like we just said a few minutes ago we don't want to point out what's wrong with this without looking at ourselves and again i still think like just don't go after my girl beth moore i'm going <laughs> to defend her no matter what but that said, I do think we need to, um, if we are those who are jumping in on every controversy online, right? And just trying to stir the pot. Trying to stir the pot, trying to score points with your tribe. I think that's probably like worth just examining. What's the fruit of this? What's the end goal of this? Am I tearing down evil and calling out injustice? Or am I just, like you said, stirring the pot for no reason at all? I think for all of us, especially Christians, like, it's probably worth just like staying focused on Jesus, tweeting about the things you want yeah. to, and and maybe ignoring the people and, who come after you. And just knowing there's people out there watching. Like, this is yeah. what always bothers me. Like, 
because our world is so public with Facebook and mm-hmm. Twitter and everything that you can't, you don't do things like we even played that clip of that guy in his church earlier. Yeah. He never thought that was going to get around the right, world. Right. right? And, and I, I guess it just bothers me when we as Christians can have moved so far away from just being able to live our lives yeah, and not have to do everything out publicly yeah. and not have to do everything that is, you know, not have to weigh in on, you don't need to weigh in on every little thing mm. and not everything needs to be a controversy. And I think the reason it bothers me, Aubrey, is because it's, it's tiresome. Yeah. It's tiresome for Christians to watch mm. and, and it makes you lose respect for some of your, you know, more prominent leaders, I mm. guess. But it also is the world is watching. Yeah. They catch wind of these yeah. things and they go, oh, I see. Christianity is just like the same. They, they talk to each other the same way the Republicans and the Democrats mm. do. OK, yeah, I don't wow. like I don't like either of them. So wow. I don't want it. We got to do better. We got to be different. Yeah, we got to do better. Let me read this tweet one more time. Not from Beth, not from Josh Boyce, but from somebody else. I'm flummoxed at the number of pastors who treat love as subservient to doctrine. Love is the entire point of doctrine. I think love could be the entire point of social media if, <laughs> if you did it rightly as well. We like to end the show with something that'll put a smile on your face or something spiritually encouraging. We're going with smile on your face this time. I mean, you could have both spiritually encouraging and smile on your face. This mm-hmm. is not spiritual at all. I want to talk about lies our parents told us growing up. Okay, oh, but funny how ones. many segments you, know, not you like got? Deceitful <laughs> ones, but funny ones. So, um, there's a list, Brian, that we can read from. But before we do that, anything that your parents, anything comes to mind that your parents told you? They're probably listening, so I want to be careful. Yeah. But I would also we say love you, parents. nothing comes to mind in like blatant lies mm-hmm. other than turn your radio down, people, if you don't want this one. But, you know, the stuff around the uh, Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But other than that. Nothing really comes to mind. Maybe this might, the, some of these that you want to share today might ring, might jog a memory yeah. for me. Well, some of these I think are not necessarily like intentional lies, but maybe just misinformation. That's what it feels like. So Kevin always tells us his grandma, somehow there must have been an ad about this when she was growing up that Twinkies were healthy, like they were jam-packed with vitamins or whatever. <laughs> so Kevin was like, literally, my grandma was convinced Twinkies were a healthy snack. And so she would feed us Twinkies like intentionally, like make sure you have your Twinkie today. And I feel like so that's an example awesome. of like I would a like quote to know unquote, Kevin's grandma. Li- yeah, a quote unquote lie, but it was more like she was just misinformed. Yes. You know what I mean? Because they did a great job campaigning or something for Twinkies. Okay, here's one. This might trigger your memory. Reading in the dark will ruin your eyes. I feel like mm-hmm. I've said that to my kids. Like, don't you guys want lights on or not? Apparently, eye doctors at Harvard said reading in dim light won't cause any ongoing medical condition. It could tire your eyes and cause strain. You could get a headache, but it's not going to impact your eyesight. Yeah, uh, we've all heard that one. Mm-hmm. This next one, I don't know that I heard this at home, but my, my wife will pull my son. Well, it's knuckle cracking leads to arthritis. Ooh. My son is in a stage of cracking knuckles. Oh, and it, I have a son who cracks it knuckles. It drives constantly. my wife up a wall. Yeah. I'll sometimes crack, but not nearly as much as my mm-hmm. son. Uh, but they said the warning is just plain wrong. The oh, crack we hear is actually the pop of the synovial fluid filling that new space. Ah. And doing so doesn't cause damage or weakness to your joints. The sound will probably still annoy some people, though. Every As you were reading that, I like needed to, to crack my knuckles and my wrists. Like yes. it, It's like the yawn reflex or something with that. Okay, here's another one. I think we've all heard this or maybe said it ourselves. 
Swallowed gum takes seven years to digest. We've all heard that one. Maybe there wasn't a trash can around or you were trying to hide gum from your parents. Whatever the case, you probably swallowed gum at some point and then worried you'd be stuck with that wad for seven years. Turns out that myth doesn't stick. But um bump Gum is mostly indigestible. Some brands use the same rubber as inner tubes, and it will pass through the system easily. Just this past weekend, this is funny that you bring this up. Just this past weekend, I was sitting on the couch and chewing gum. Yeah. And this is, I don't know the last time this has happened. Like, I like something happened and I just inadvertently swallowed my gum. <gasps> oh, really? Like, and you it just was like this really weird feeling. And I also had that thought, like, so I can stay in my stomach for seven years now. Like, we've all heard that one before. So, okay. Yeah, that was a weird feel. Number one, uh, next one. Chocolate milk comes from brown cows. What? Never heard that nobody one. Nobody ever said that. As I much feel like fun as that this that as a joke. one might be to believe, brown cows don't produce chocolate milk. I don't think any of us have ever yeah. believed that. No. Although it does say 7% of U.S. adults believe it. What? That is, is that? 17 million adults. Unbelievable. Yep. Okay, this is a funny one. I'm sure you'll remember this. Cross eyes will get stuck that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like your parents would say, don't make that face. They'll get stuck. Like if you get hit on the back. Uh-huh. Too. Yeah, that was a big one. If you get hit on the back, your eyes will get stuck. What movie was that? John was Cusack. Like, Can't Buy Me Love, maybe? I was Well, John High Cusack Fidelity? was not. I was thinking that was um, The Christmas Story. Nope, nope, nope. Okay. All right. Well, you, you search that and I'll read the next one. This one's interesting because I thought this was still true. Swim too soon after eating, you'll cramp up and drown. This Whopper has been around for ages. Even the 1908 book, Scouting for Boys, employs young swimmers to wait 90 minutes after chowing down or drowning will be your fault. Yikes. Well, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Red Cross, your folks were lying. <laughs> Just finish swallowing before jumping in the water to avoid accidentally choking and you'll be safe. This hour wait was probably just made up to give parents a brief reprieve from lifeguard duty. That's funny. That's pretty funny. Uh, one Crazy Summer, by the way. One Crazy Summer. That was a John Cusack, John Cusack. movie. Okay. I knew it was a John Cusack movie, yeah. but was he not in Can't Buy Me Love? No, he was not in Can't Buy Me Love. You're thinking of Patrick uh, Dempsey, who was oh, in okay. Can't Buy Me Love. Watermelons will grow in your stomach from swallowed seeds. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. You okay. might have panicked when your parents warned you not to swallow watermelon seeds one hot summer day, but the digestive system is not a friendly pa- place for a seed to grow. <laughs> So swallow a seed or two during watermelon seed spitting contest, and it will just continue on its merry way to, to the toilet. That's funny. All right, here's another one. Sitting too close to the TV will cause eye damage. I think Some of these I still believe. You probably heard this while watching Saturday morning cartoons, like reading in the dark, sitting too close to the TV won't damage vision. Okay. While there were concerns that TVs developed before the 1950s emitted unsafe levels of radiation, that's no longer a concern. And while extended close viewings could strain and cause a headache, there's no lasting damage. Interesting. Interesting. Touch a toad and you'll get warts. Oh, yeah. Parents probably tell this one to stop clothes from getting muddied. You can't get warts from any amphibian, including toads or frogs. The myth likely started because some toads have warty-looking glands on their skin and that are often there to secrete a protective poison to defend against predators. So you want to leave the toad alone to be nice, but... No, that's you might not, not the get problem. From it. Okay, this is one we mentioned before, but uh, parents, if you've got kids in the car, you may want to turn the volume down. We're going to talk about that guy around uh, Christmas holidays. Here's the lie that parents would tell kids. Santa Claus knows if you've been naughty or nice. <laughs> uh, many people worry that the lie about Santa Claus would be harmful to kids once they figure out that Santa isn't real. 
but most, it turns out, actually have a positive developmental impact. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of kids obviously continue uh, to play along with Santa, even when they know the ruse isn't true. I never knew this one. Keep your eyes open <laughs> when sneezing, and your eyes will fall out. <laughs> I've heard this This before. one seems especially cruel. Uh, but fear not, you may have a hard time keeping your eyes open when you sneeze, but blame your reflexes, and but they won't pop out of your head. Blood mm. pressure behind your eyeballs might increase slightly when you sneeze, but nowhere near enough to cause them to go <laughs> flying out. You've heard that one? Well, I've heard that your eyes can't, you can't physically open your eyes when you're sneezing because they'll fall out, and so it's like a protective thing, but yes. I don't think that's actually true. It's clearly not true. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's kind of funny. Okay, here's another one. Uh, this one is more of a cliche, I think, than actually true, but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. The family pet is living on a farm upstate. We all know what that's code for, right? The, the pet is in the better place. I have pets, I have pets upstate. You do? <laughs> Brian, I have something I have to tell you. Your nose will grow if you lie. To keep kids from lying, parents mm. tell a lie of their own. <laughs> kids likely realize that their nose didn't grow like Pinocchio's for fibbing. Uh, researchers have actually found, though, that noses actually heat up after a lie. What? Thanks to activity in the brain's insular no cortex. Way. Okay, that's kind of interesting. Okay, this one, I think I just said I think this. this is true, this just, next one, isn't I it? I just said this to my son yesterday, I'm not going to lie. But they say, uh, a lie, drinking co- coffee stunts growth. Kids often want to try coffee to feel more grown up or perhaps out of curiosity about a beverage loved by adults. And parents will often warn it stunts their growth. Perhaps believing a disproved theory that coffee causes osteoporosis. Coffee will not stunt growth, but no adult wants overly caffeinated kids. That's true. These can I just read a couple of them? Yeah, I know right of time. Of them, yeah. Eating carrots will let you see in the dark. Yeah, I feel uh, like I've heard some version of that. Or help your eyes. The toy or candy store is closed. <laughs> yeah. This one is great. If you pee in the pool, the water will turn red. Totally heard that my whole life. We have yeah. all been terrified yes, of that. that. You'd be the person who like it was red behind you. Because well, there's movies in the pool. too, right? Like yeah. grown ups and those are kind of. Uh, next one. This one's dark. You're the most talented kid in the world. Oh, ouch, ouch. Uh, and I like this one. Ice cream trucks play music only when they're out of ice cream. <laughs> I've cruel. never knew that one. I never tried that one. No. And the last one is that storks deliver uh, babies. The old stork bringing the babies. All right. Well, those are some lies that your parents may have told you growing up. If we've forgotten any or missed any, let us know on our social media at Common Good Talk. And Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.